Welcome to episode number 268. Today's episode is a really fun one because we are exploring ways that you can grow more of your own food at home. And this way, I have to say, is one that I have just like barely, barely begun to do here on our homestead. And I would say over 90%, probably even higher, but I would say 90% of backyard vegetable gardeners are not taking advantage of or purposely growing this crop. But after you listen to today's episode, it's going to be one that I am pretty certain you are going to be growing right along with me. I'm your host, Melissa K. Norris, a fifth generation homesteader who got back to her roots of using simple modern homesteading for a healthier and more self-sufficient life after a cancer scare in my late 20s. This is the place for you, my friend, if you sometimes wondered if you weren't born a 100 years too late. If you've always thought that you and Laura Ingalls would be best friends, And if you think that every home and kitchen would be better if they were filled with mason jars and cast iron and those things were used daily with homegrown and homemade food. If that is you, then welcome home and welcome to this amazing community of modern pioneers. Well, I'm really excited to introduce you to today's guest, and that is Mary Ellen Kozak who is the founder of Field and Forest Products, which was actually founded a little, a little ways back in 1983 with her, then it was her future spouse and business partner, Joe Krasike. And Mary Ellen has combined her profession in mycology with her academic background in agronomy and integrating a longtime passion for plant-based food systems, especially with fungi. So, If that didn't give it away, we're going to be talking about growing mushrooms at home. Now, I know mushrooms kind of like oysters. It's either one of those foods you love them or you hate them. And I'm really hoping that the majority of you love them and are going to be tuning into this episode because it's pretty incredible. All of the different ways that you can grow mushrooms in many different formats throughout your yard and your garden. And not only the growing of them for a food source, and really when you get into mushrooms, if you've only ever had, say, like the brown button mushrooms or maybe portabellas from the grocery store, oh, my friend, there are so many different types of mushrooms out there. And a lot of them have very distinct flavor profiles. A lot of them are not slimy. That's kind of one of the things I hear a lot from people who don't like mushrooms. But when you really start to dive into these different types of mushrooms, you're going to get a lot of different textures, a lot of different flavors, really is amazing. And there's actually a ton of different health benefits when it comes to mushrooms. So there's so much to explore on this topic, both from the growing part, getting started growing, what you need to know about different growing environments and growing them, but as well as the health benefits and then harvesting them yourself and preserving that at home, we're actually breaking this into a two-part series. So you are listening to part one, which is really amazing. There's so much information covered. I learned so much when I got done recording this interview. I kid you not, I actually hit stop recording, got on the phone, called my husband up and said, as soon as this episode airs, you have to listen to it because 
then you're going to know why I'm bringing in all the things that I'm bringing in. And I'm placing this big old order for all of our mushroom spawn or spores. So without further ado, we are just going to dive straight into the growing part right now with Mary Ellen. Well, without further ado, I am so excited to introduce you guys to and have this conversation with Mary Ellen from Field and Forest. So Mary Ellen, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Well, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm actually really excited uh, to pick your brain about growing mushrooms for various reasons, but most of them are actually, I don't know if selfish is the right word, but very self-serving because my husband and I really would like to cultivate more mushrooms here on our property than what we currently have that are just wild um, and without having to go up so many different mountain roads in order to hunt down some of our favorite varieties. I think it would be super exciting if we could get them to grow here. So I'm I am very excited to talk to you because I have very limited knowledge about trying to grow mushrooms ourselves. So one of the things that, um, that there's a lot of benefits to mushrooms as I've been, you're going to fill me in more as well as everybody listening, um, growing mushrooms. I was just thinking quite honestly of, I love to eat them. So I love mushrooms. They're one of my favorite foods, just as far as taste goes, but there, they have a lot of advantages. So, Growing mushrooms like in the home landscape and intentionally in our garden landscape. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yes. Well, it's been very interesting. We've been in business now for um, almost 40 years and we've seen this big transition of people um, calling and saying, how do I get rid of these mushrooms in my lawn to now questions about how to grow them. And I think a lot of it, it's been, we've just had this explosion um, an interest in mushroom in mushrooms in general, um, as far as the medicinal value of mushrooms, um, how are they important in our landscape and especially in our our woodland environments? Um, so the research has been really stepping up how uh, trees communicate through mushrooms. Um, just a whole load of information that's that's coming at us about mushrooms or fungi, I guess, is probably the bigger group that's, um, and all of it is very interesting. So um, I would say that the interest in cultivation, though, has um, really mushroomed um, just because it's possible. Uh, and, you know, I would say probably uh, 30, 40 years ago, we really didn't know how to cultivate mushrooms outdoors or in a home setting, except maybe kits. Um, so it's, it's been really great that that has been increasing in interest. And also our techniques have really improved as well to um, find varieties that we can cultivate in an outdoor environment um, successfully commercially or just uh, just for our own our own um, selves for our families uh, and to put by and to can and to pickle and things like that so um, it's definitely something worthy of excitement I think for almost anybody who's got um, a yard yeah so just just for verification what you're talking about too is different like when you say a kit so that's like actually the only way that my husband and i have grown mushrooms that haven't just we've been blessed that the spores are just you know they just come up naturally on our property um and so we just got like this little kit looked like a little presto log it had the spores in it and you just kept it between i think it was 50 degrees fahrenheit and 70 degrees fahrenheit kept it nice and moist and it would and it grew but it 
you know, once it was done growing on this, you know, little pressed thing, <laughs> you know, that was it. Um, it wasn't going to continue to grow and it was indoors in this very controlled environment. But what you're talking about is actually creating mushroom cultivation outside in, in areas like that, not like just a little kit that's a one-time use type thing. Right. So that is what is so cool about mushroom cultivation is that, you know, the person that's really been involved with it for a lot of years, and that can be uh, a lot of amateur growers, they'll, they'll find fungi that do well outdoors and try to really look at those environmental factors and the substrate that there's what that the, that mushroom is growing on. Is it a tree or is it uh, soil? And then they'll try to bring that into the lab and make spawn out of that and start to cultivate them outdoors and indoors, trying to replicate those same environmental factors, try to find out what the best recipe is for the, the, the mushroom cake, like you were talking about, to, to grow the mushroom on. So it's a really involved process. And um, for, the, for the person that just wants to grow them indoors, um, there are those kits available, sort of taken from the outdoor environment um, and, and the, the fruiting cues and trying to figure out what it is that um, makes these mushrooms do well outdoors and bringing them indoors into a kit form. But what I'm talking about is um, using spawn or seeds. The, the spawn is the kind of uh, the, mush, the mushroom seed of the, of the mushroom world. Um, and then planting those into substrates that we know will host that um, fungal growth. And then just nurturing them along and growing them outdoors. Um, there's a lot of fungi that are really well adapted to that um, and that we can even do commercially outdoors. So... Um, we can talk about either of those things, the, the indoor kits or the outdoor kits, but I find the outdoor kits the, or the outdoor um, cultivation to be just super exciting because there's just so many benefits um, to growing them outdoors. Yeah. Well, I'd really be curious in the outdoors because one of the things is we, I, we would have loved to have grown a lot more. We grew, it was lion's mane. Um, but, you know, I only have so much space in my home, <laughs> that, mm -hmm. yeah, a very limited space, I should say, in my home. Honestly, we, we have a, a, a pretty um, small house. I don't have a garage. I don't have a basement or a cellar or really any, any uh, space. It was just in, in the bathtub in our master bathroom. Actually, it was the only space that I had. So therefore, the, the bathtub could not be used as a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we were doing it. So I'm really interested in the outdoor because I think that obviously you could grow a lot more, I'm assuming, because um, you would have more space for most people. And it just feels a, a little bit more natural. And then, and, and you can even talk to me about this, but hopefully you would be able to, you know, grow without having to maybe replace it like the spores would, would replicate. I, and I'm going from what happens every season, like with our wild mushrooms, you know, they come back in the same spot when the, the season and the, the conditions are, are correct for that. So can you get that same thing to happen in cultivated beds where they will come back seasonally for you or not? Well, usually, usually it's best to replant. And the reason is that mushrooms are a little bit different than plants and that putting them into a known substrate or a sort of a finite substrate. So I'm just going to take the um, example of some of the wood decay fungi, which, by the way, those are the ones that are really successfully grown for the outdoor cultivator because the substrate is really natural. It's, it's as it would happen in the wild. So, uh, for example, shiitake is one of the most popular fungi to grow on wood logs. And um, so that log, once you actually plant it or what we say inoculate it, um, that's a finite woods uh, food source for that for that shiitake 
spawn. So it's going to grow throughout the entire, start to digest and decay all of the wood. And once it reaches a certain point um, in the decay cycle and it gets the right fruiting cues through weather usually, and also, you know, how far along it has decayed in the wood, um, it will start to fruit. And as soon as that uh, log is all used up and all of the nutrition has been digested um, and has left the log in form of these delicious mushrooms, then, then the, the substrate is kaput. It's, it's you, you know, usually meant for the forest floor, the compost pile, which you know, will, will further become fodder for usually other fungi as well and increase um, the nutrition at the forest floor for, you know, with organic matter and things. So it's a really, it's a really great woodland type cycle. Um, to engage in, and plus you get some really great mushrooms out of it. So I guess in answer to the question, um, hard to to use that log because it's already gone from the fruiting phase. Um, it's not in the seeking phase where it's you know the the spawn is looking for for more substrate to digest. Um, it's usually pretty well done by the time the log is is done, and you'd have to replant um, something again with with more spawn um, that's that's really prime and ready to go. Um, we do have some other fungi, though, that you can, you know, increase and re replant year to year, but you actually have to, to move, move the old bed to a new bed, for example. And we can talk about that if you, um, as well. Okay. Well, I have a couple of questions because I live in the Pacific Northwest. So we have a lot of logs and we live on almost 15 acres and a good portion of that is forested. So having trees and logs and, and wood, we use wood heat to heat our home is definitely not an issue for me. I've got plenty of it. But when you're saying logs, I, I'm, I'm just assuming like at first I'm like, well, how big of a log? Because when I think log, I'm thinking like a really large, like a log log. Um, but I'm assuming that you could even do this on smaller, you know, pieces. So kind of what size of wood do you have to have? Um, really like what's the smallest you can go to actually be successful? Like how much do the, how much of a, the wood does the for shiitake is, is that's our example. How much does it need? Like how much space do you have to have? I guess that's what I'm really trying to get at um, yeah. to have a shiitake bed. And I, and I bet your idea of a log is different than my idea of a log. I mean, we're in the Great Lakes area and we get some pretty big trees, but I have a feeling they're, they're um, just from my experience of being in your neck of the woods that your trees are uh, substantially larger than our trees. <laughs> so, but you know, that's the coolest thing about, uh, mushroom cultivation on wood logs, especially shiitake, because um, here we're using undervalued small diameter hardwood logs. And so um, in timber stand improvement efforts where we're going through, let's say we have a, you know, a wood lot and we're trying to thin some of the, call out some of the wood to, to make more room for this white pine over here, or more room for this spruce over here. Um, you know, we want to do a little bit of selective pruning. So you can take branch wood um, or small diameter trees. And so um, you're going to want something that's somewhere between well, for ideal shiitake cultivation, four to six inches in diameter. So kind of something that you can lift up um, and around 40 inches a meter long. That's the classic size. Um, well, that's not huge at all. So that's pretty doable even in a Well, for you, setting, it's probably sure. stick. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, we try to get that, that a lot of it has to do um, with bark characteristics, how thick the bark is and, um, and also the log will dry out less fast, of course, if it's a bigger log. So, you know, the, the industry standard, and, uh, and that's just, this is something that's been happening since 1940, I think, is when the Japanese 
uh, I think first the Chinese and then the Japanese started really bringing forth into cultivation, you know, really mechanizing for cultivation is to go for this four to six inch diameter, uh, 40 inch long piece of wood. Um, just because usually the bark is thick enough, um, it's, there's enough sapwood, all these various factors. Uh, and for me, the biggest one is that you can lift it. You can lift hundreds at a time, or not at a time, but repeatedly lift hundreds without really hurting yourself. So um, shiitake cultivation on the commercial level on wood logs is often, of course, a lot, very labor intensive, a lot of hand lifting, handling these logs one after the other. So you definitely want to make sure that you're not struggling to lift up this really huge log. I mean, you can certainly go larger than the four to six inches in diameter. And in my case, because we're pretty good at moisture management now, um, not just because of the huge amount of rainfall we've been getting in the last number of years, but um, just because we've gotten better at cultivation, we can go as like, like three inches, you know, even a little bit smaller if we're really good at, um, for good at it, just to make sure that the log doesn't dry out quickly. Cause you know, small diameters will dry out faster than lo- um, larger ones. So okay. um, yeah, that's, it's, uh, it's not only a really good thing for um, our woodland management to kind of, you know, try to remove some of these call trees or branches that will come down. Um, but it's also, I mean, how much, how, how many times can we say that we, we, we grow food out of wood? Remember when I was a kid, yeah. there used to be a wood bread for dieters. <laughs> so this is a really, wow. <laughs> I know. So this is, I mean, I think I saw it in the grocery store maybe for about a month and then it must, <sighs> it must have really flopped. But you can make some really good good food out of wood in the form of mushrooms. So that's okay. It's a great thing. So speaking of, are there any trees that are not good to pick for cultivating your mushrooms? Like any species that we should stay away from? Yeah, it's in you know this the whole area of, of cultivation on wood logs. It, it really the most important thing to remember is that it has to be living fresh green wood. So that's number okay. one. Um, if the wood is already dead, then chances are that something else is, is in, has invaded it and the moisture content is a little bit off. Um, what we're doing when we're, we're um, inoculating logs is as soon as the tree is removed or the branch is removed, um, it starts to dry very slowly, but it starts to dry out. And so what you want to do is plant it or inoculate it so that the spawn just follows that zone of drying. So it's the very first thing to show up. And that way we can be sure to colonize the whole thing with the fungus that you're of interest um, and and know that that log is going to last, oh, let's say an inch uh, of diameter will give you about a year's worth of, of production. So on that two and a half inch log that I was talking about, I know that for, I, I can get production out of that in during the growing season for two years, um, oh. eight, an eight inch diameter log, which I'm going to lug around and try to only lift it once after inoculating that is going to give me uh, mushrooms during the growing seasons for say eight years. So wow. it's nice because it's a lot of physical labor, but in, in the end, um, these things really last a long time, which is great. So, um, but the other thing I wanted to mention, um, aside from the fact that you want to have fresh disease-free wood, which 
a lot of people say, gosh, you know, I don't want to use any fresh tree. I don't want to cut a tree. And that's very true. You have to be very, very diligent about the purpose or purposeful about what you're trying to do. You know, you certainly don't want to take out um, any magnificent shade trees that, you know, that have other value to you or other value in the landscape for mushroom cultivation. You want to be using wood that's, that's, that's poor quality uh, otherwise that you can't use otherwise, or that is, you know, come down in a storm, for example. So um, you have to be diligent about that. Um, but the, the other thing is that um, aside from using fresh wood is that you really need to be species specific. So be very specific about what kind of wood is matched with what kind of fungus. So if you're going to grow lion's mane, for example, which you can do outdoors on wood logs, um, you know, the, the, the two species of wood that we really like are uh, sugar maple is one. And I don't know if you guys have any there. Um, no, we don't. Not unless you've actually planted one, but not just. In which case you wouldn't want to ever use that for mushroom <laughs> cultivation. Yeah. Um, so so harder maple. I don't know if mountain maple might be one of those we have. You know, we're still kind of in the process of, uh, you know, having our customers call us back and say, hey, this did work or this didn't work because we just don't know all the various species for all the different species. Um, species of fungi that that we grow but we know in our area that sugar maple works well as does beech um so those two work very well for lion's mane oak is only okay, marginal. those are a harder yes. those are harder wood so you're after a harder wood then for that yes. one okay um, a lot of these fungi that you can grow on wood logs um do like the harder wood so um lion's mane we just talked about liking beech and sugar maple particularly we know that shiitake loves oak, but we also know that shiitake will do well on sugar maple, mountain maple. We know it will do well on ironwood, um, and then less well on some things like basswood, some of the softer hardwoods. Um, red maple is another one that we have is a really big native weed species here. Um, and we just know that if we're selective, get you know some of the wood that has thicker bark, um, they're a little bit bigger and a little heavier to lift, but they grow some really nice shiitake mushrooms. So um, we do have, um, we do have a, um, a, uh, a, a chart that matches the wood species. And we, we, we really try to get across the United States for uh, Southern growers and uh, growers in the Northwest uh, in the Northeast, um, try to match those tree species with, each kind of mushroom that you can cultivate. Um, and we do have that, that available on our website, the fieldforest.net website. So just, just if anyone's interested in matching up uh, tree species with the fungal species, that's, that's a big help because not only have we done a lot of work with it, but um, a lot of people have called us and said, oh, I tried this, I tried sassafras, or I tried tree of heaven and this worked or this did not work. And we try to keep compiling that information so everybody is on the same page with it. Okay. Yeah, we have here um, a lot of alder will grow. Um, oh, great shiitake then... species. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I, I was trying to think because then a lot that a lot of the I come into my conifers, you know, so um, fir and spruce and cedar and some hemlock, though hemlock's pretty soft. Um, so, okay, that was great. And guys, we'll have in the show notes, which will be at melissacanorris.com forward slash 268. We'll have all different links too to everything that Mary Ellen is, is referencing, like some of these great charts. We'll make sure and link to those too. So you can, you can go and snag those because I think that's going to be a fabulous resource. I'm going to be going and checking it out myself because I'm getting pretty excited to be growing mushrooms. Yeah. So questions about the soft, the conifer, of course, 
it was news to me when we first started that this that you know woods are kind of classified into these hard hardwoods and then hard soft soft hardwoods and then soft woods which or soft softwoods which would be something like aspen popple as we call it here um, in the midwest poplar um uh oh basswood i guess you would say is a soft hardwood so you know there's in general, we can just say that things like shiitake and um, lion's made olive oysterling, things like that do well with the hard hardwoods. And in the soft hardwoods, um, almost everybody has seen an oyster mushroom. I would imagine, I mean, with the kind of rainfall we've been having, and it sounds like you guys have a fair amount of rainfall too, that you see a plenty of wild oyster mushrooms growing on some of your soft hardwoods. And so those are you know, if you don't have hard hardwoods, um, soft hardwoods will grow some really great oyster mushrooms as well as certain varieties of shiitake. Um, and then there's the conifers, which are, of course, is the softwood. And, you know, we have found that the, um, the hard softwoods, which is, I, I can't remember if it's the five needle pines or the three needle pines, but one of those will do, uh, we have that on the chart, um, will do really well with the, with the fungus called namiko, if anyone is familiar with that. So, We've been looking around for more fungal species that you can cultivate successfully on pine um, or spruce or hemlock because um, that's sometimes all people have. And um, so, so far we've, we've, we feel really good about Namiko, but that's about as far as we've gotten. Um, okay. And that's fascinating because our lion's mane here just out in the wild, not that I'm cultivating, let me preface that grows on those i we've noted though more often than not it's usually at a bit higher elevation and i don't know if that is making those trees naturally um harder than the ones at lower elevation i honestly don't know but we just have found that when we went out looking the higher we go we actually will find more uh, but they are on they are on those conifers so um anyways now now i have to wait usually for us it's more in the it's in the first part of fall so um now I'm excited to go out and kind of hunt some this year and really take note of which trees they're on. Yeah. Um, oh, there's so much yeah. we don't know. <laughs> it makes you, you know, the other thing too, I think is a lot of times in the wild, um, like in the heresium group, which is um, for us, it's the combs tooth and also lion's mane. Um, there are some, uh, I'm not sure about this, but I think there is one that grows one of the heresium species that grows on um, conifers. And I wonder if it might be that or, it could oh, just could be, be that, you know, desperate fungi do desperate things like, you know, at the high <laughs> elevations, there's not much else there. So I don't know. Yeah. It's, we just don't know enough. I, I, I think there are people out there that do know. I, it's just I, I certainly don't know enough about um, some of those niche um, yeah. uh, things. So that's really great. It's, and that's what's so wonderful about cultivating fungi is that it's, it's open. Like, there's so much we don't know. And, and people that don't consider themselves cultivation experts, they can quickly um, learn a lot. And just by looking at the environment, looking at the tree species, knowing a little bit about the fungi and how they grow, um, what their preferred species are, it's amazing how fast uh, these people like that become really expert at um, understanding the fungal climate and, um, in the environment and become really good cultivators because They've learned to watch for certain cues. They, they kind of know um, what to look for and a lot of times pay attention on things that they don't look for and learn from that. So it's a really wonderful uh, project or um, 
I don't want to say hobby because it, it becomes consuming um, it, to be involved in because you learn so much about the forest environment or the env environment in general, even in the garden when we're growing some mushrooms and beds in the garden. Yeah. So one of the things we really did talk about, we kind of got off on uh, talking about the different wood, but yeah. I'm really glad that we did because I wouldn't have realized honestly that like alder would have been a good choice um, and that you need to match up, like you said, the fungi with the, the wood. So I'm really glad that we talked about that. Um, I do kind of want to, I wanted to ask though, like when you are looking at your yard or your garden area, wherever it is that you're going to be putting these, these green logs of appropriate size now that we know and type to match. Whoa. But I'm assuming that because we don't want them to dry out, as m most of us know, we see fungus growing in, in a moist area. Would you be picking like um, an area that gets a lot of shade? Do mushrooms need a certain amount of indirect or direct sunlight per day? Or can you kind of walk me through like if you're looking at your yard and picking where you're going to be growing the mushrooms, what oh. things you want to take into consideration? Sure, I would love to. <laughs> because you know, I, there's, there's nothing more cool for me than having a mushroom farm, I guess, an outdoor mushroom farm and being able to um, really pick those various environments that you're talking about. I, I mean, because, you know, mushrooms, because it's such a huge group. And, and when I talk about mushrooms, I'm, I'm talking mostly about what we call the basidiomyces or the, the mushrooms that have gills usually, or um, they don't all have gills, but, um, you know, the ones that are macrofungi, ones that we can, you know, like not rusts or not apple scab, you know, things that we can actually pick um, and, and call, that we know as a mushroom. So um, when you look at the, the landscape, the, the important thing to know, I think, is that we have three kind of three different levels of mushroom niches, like where they like to grow. And the, and the first, of course, are the easiest to grow are the wood decay fungi or the primary decomposers. And those are the ones that will take raw wood, like we were talking about shiitake or lion's mane. Um, they're the first to get into that raw log when it comes down. Um, and those are usually woodland fungi. Those are the ones that, you know, like the, it's the shaded environment. Um, then we have the next level down is sort of more of a litter decomposer. There's sort of a cross between the primary decomposer and then more that I but do chips or, or um, even pine needles. Our favorite one in that group is by far the almond agar, um, excuse me, the, the wine cap stropharia. And that is a wine cap or garden giant, I think is another name, king stropharia. Those do super well out more in the open on the edges of woodlands, um, on the edge of a, you know, that get some dappled shade. So um, in an orchard setting, um, we do it in underneath our blueberry plantings in the garden. We Ooh. do them on the north Ooh. side of our greenhouse. I mean, they just, they like more air. They like more airflow. And okay. that's done on a three to four inch um, wood chip or straw bed. So those are more bed fungi. They're still kind of primary decomposers that they like raw wood and they like wood to be relatively fresh, but they can also tolerate wood that's been a little more digested, a little more composted, like wood chips that are, you know, um, for us, we can go over a year old with the wood chips. Um, even like we've had people grow them on uh, pine chips that are well-aged, that look really well composted, but they do a really good job um, hosting the wine cap stropharia um, on really okay. well composted um, conifers. So we would look for a more open environment, a more aerated, a more aerated environment for the wine cap. Um, and then the last 
category uh, is more of a decomposer that's more of a compost type decomposer. So they've taken the, um, the digested wood from the other fungi. Um, and we have done that where we've taken, for example, oyster uh, straw bags or oyster logs and kind of pulverize those up to make a compost. And then we'll plant that with a fungus called almond agaricus, which is definitely a compost loving mushroom. And that's something that you would grow actually on compost beds in the garden or at your pile. Um, we grow it in polyculture or in um, companion planting um, underneath tomato plants and squash. Um, so that's um, a really fun mushroom. There, that's much more like the portobello or the um, the the button mushroom, but they're much more flavorful. They have an almond oh. sort of aroma. They're super flavorful, and they have um, some more. Um, medicinal value, I think, than the, the usual white button mushroom. So, so you can kind of, you know, look at your landscape and see where you've got your best substrate, because that's probably the most important thing is that you start out with the substrate that is suitable for the mushroom that you want to grow. We talked about that as far as the tree species matching that with the, with the fungus, but we also kind of want to match, um, do we want to use wood chips? Do we want to use straw? Um, do we have a lot of compost, a lot of garden compost that we can use um, to make a compost bed enough to make a couple of, you know, four or five inch bed? Um, you kind of make that decision based on what substrate that you have available to you. Um, and if you have all those things and you can have this amazing, diverse uh, mushroom garden area and, you know, just as a side, I feel like one of the really undervalued um, things about mushroom cultivation is just um, how great it is to go out in the woods and into a laying yard where you've got your wood logs laying and you hear the birds. And it's just an amazing experience really to be engaged in that because it's just so close to um, what you might find in a natural forest environment or even in the yard or in the garden. It's just, it's just, there's a, there's a, a, a psychological, I think, um, and maybe physiological uh, benefit to growing mushrooms that has that's totally unrelated to consumption <laughs> so that's just my yeah, you know I, my little stick on that shtick no so. i completely agree one of the things i say often in my audience will be nodding their head is your garden feeds your body and soul it's Absolutely. not just you know yeah, yeah. and yeah. so I'm, I'm loving this and actually and when you were talking because i have blueberry plants i have raspberry plants and i mulch my blueberries heavily with this wood mulch and I'm like, oh my goodness, I could be growing mushrooms underneath. You could there. There be. actually edible ones that I want, not the mummy berry fungus that actually infects my blueberry plants, which is why I use the heavy wood mulch. To right, 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 right. To do that. But yeah, so I'm like super excited. And then when you said underneath the squash, like I could, I'm like, I feel like my, my whole world and food production just like widened the horizon. I'm so excited. <laughs> well, we just, it's funny. We just posted a video today um, on our YouTube channel. So if anyone um, wants to take a look at that, it's growing Rishi um, and uh, almond agaricus underneath squash in our, in our high tunnel. And it's just Ooh. the, the Rishi came as a complete surprise. We were just using spent blocks as a, as a border for our almond beds. And, um, We've had a lot of heat and humidity, and it's just really cool to see multiple mushrooms, which can coexist because they're growing on different substrate. The almond is growing on the compost that's in these beds that are bordered by these reishi blocks that we were going to compost anyway because we had already harvested from them. So, um, you know, it's just the, these surprises will come along your way that you really weren't expecting to have happen. 
um, another real benefit of, of being a mushroom cultivator because, you know, there's just so much we don't know um, and so much to learn. So, so yeah. Yeah. Plant some wine cap in your blueberry beds. Absolutely. Okay. I'm really excited about this actually. And it's very, and it, that you brought up Rishi uh, and lion's mane as well, because one of the things is, of course, I said, one of the reasons I want to learn to more about cultivating my own mushrooms is so I can eat more of them and have them here at the mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. Um, but health benefits, mushrooms, especially um, reishi and even lion's mane, as far as antiviral and immune boosting, I mean, mushrooms can be powerhouses Well, I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. And I'm sorry to leave you hanging just a little bit, but you are going to want to make sure that you are tuned in and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss next week's episode, which will be 269, where we really start to dive in some of the different health benefits of some different types of mushrooms, including some that have pretty strong antiviral and immune boosting support, as well as the different ways that you can harvest and preserve and even eat your mushrooms at home. So I can't wait to be back here with you for that second part of this interview with Mary Ellen. I hope that you have a fabulous, fabulous week until that airs. Mm -hmm.